Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. You've made it back to the China shop for another exciting episode. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. Notice I haven't had any promotions lately. Is, uh, have you been slacking on that or did you just kind of stop? Well, at last few times I gave you a promotion, it was uh, in, in a, in a pro, inappropriate. So, <laughs> well, They're also good, too. I kind of liked some of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, maybe I'll rephrase that and be like, Kyle, you haven't done anything worth getting a promotion. That's what's happened. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, Got to work all harder. Right. That's understandable. <laughs> Folks, thanks for joining us. <laughs> we got a we got a thrilling, awesome, spectacular episode today. No alliteration. It's that good. Uh, we've got a very special guest, Matt Rayner. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great, gal. Thanks for having me on. Excited for this. And uh, maybe I'll get a promotion by the end of the episode as well. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, Dan has a list. He's got a whole list. Be careful what you yep, ask for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we've got openings. We need a crocodile dentist. I could take that one. I'm all right with the, the dentist. Uh, all right. Getting my kid to brush his teeth is always fun. So I, I know I'm holding his mouth open. I'm pretty good at that. So I can, oh. I can do it. We just had a dentist on not too long ago in one of our beginner episodes. And the one question I forgot to ask that I, I think we're going to talk to him again for our end of the year special. But I want to ask if the uh, the six month checkup is like similar to like the scam they do on cars. Like you know, they say every three thousand miles you should change your oil. Like, is this all a scam? Do you really need to see us every six months? Well, can you also ask him why do all dentists and dental hygienists talk to you and ask you questions when they have everything in your uh, mouth? Like, yes. what are, how are you supposed right. that answer those questions? And then you just start mumbling it just doesn't make sense. they always ask the question at the wrong time actually my daughter does that job so maybe i'll ask her she's not very talkative so i don't think she'd be the one you'd have to worry about i always try to blink back in morse code but they never answer <laughs> it's always a plea for help like the veterans <laughs> So us, yeah. Matt is an author, a CFA and a CFP. Matt, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and how you got uh, got where you are today? Yeah, um, I took a lot of tests to get those letters after my name, but uh, I don't think they really helped too much necessarily, uh, <laughs> other than making my card a little bit larger. But uh, no, my background's in wealth management. I'm fortunate to have grown up in this business. My uh, my dad started a, a business in RA here in Atlanta that I watched him to grow, and fortunate enough that he allowed me to come join him. Uh, when I graduate college. So I came into the business as a financial advisor, uh, serving individual families. We started another wealth management business uh, here in Atlanta that was more focused on the mass affluence. So think about the Henry model, the high earner, not rich yet, um, mm. was kind of the model that we we built. And we have that firm going as well. And they're doing a great job. Um, and then about seven years ago, uh, we started our own technology firm that served financial advisors, really trying to help them uh, focus more on the relationship and eliminate the menial mundane tasks that go into this business. Um, and so we started that. 
Um, and then I've continued to evolve and tried to be an advocate for financial advisors and what they do for clients and help them see their value and uh, continue to shift their focus more and more to helping uh, develop and deepen relationships. So uh, I've got a little, little bit of everything going on, but I've just been, I was born around in this industry and I always tell people that, you know, growing up, my cartoons were uh, with CNBC. Uh, that was always on and I understood the ticker and uh, the fractions before they went to the, you know, the, the penny system and uh, right. uh, just grew up in this space. And I was just fortunate to have an opportunity with my dad building the initial firm for us to kind of launch off into multiple other initiatives. So is CNBC still trustworthy these days? <laughs> you know, what's funny is I don't even watch it anymore. I have a TV, I know, in, my, right? I have a TV in my <laughs> office and it's always turned off. It's only on in April when the masters are on and that's the only time I ever use it. So, uh, I don't know why I, I had a, I had our company pay for that. But everybody is always like, did you see what the market did today? And I'm like, no, what'd it do? How did it go? Is it good? Um, <laughs> so you're more of a long-term, long-term yeah. strategy then, huh? Yeah, but it's fun. I mean, there's a lot of you know interesting things going on right now. But my whole mentality is is uh, my clients, like we talked about a little bit in the opening, They uh, it's all about psychology, right? 90% mm -hmm. of psychology, just keeping people... Uh, from doing silly things with their money and being funny with their money. That's what, uh, that's what our job is. Oh, so, uh, so like what? Give us some examples here. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see a headline on the, you know, the markets or on CNBC because all of our clients, all of our clients watch CNBC or, or mm -hmm. Fox Business or something of that nature. And they see, you know, Jim Cramer say that, uh, you know, Procter & Gamble is a bad stock or the markets are going down and, and they call and want to, just sell out of everything and go into cash because of the election or because of China or because Jim Cramer said so. Um, and we have to, we have to hold them. We have to hold them off from that because uh, you know, we, we, we see 10 years, 15 years in the future. You know, I right. always, I use the example uh, and I don't like to use this example, but I, I use it um, just because I'm a little messed up in the head. And I say like doctors, right? I've never, I don't really like the reference advisors as being with doctors, but, um, you know, the funny thing is, is that when you go into a doctor's office and the doctor tells you something like your chest is really hurting, right? And you're like, mm -hmm. gosh, my chest is really hurting. Like, what is it? And they're like, you're going to be fine. Just go home and it'll be good. And you're like, no, something is really wrong with me. Um, and you've never experienced it before, but the doctor has seen it a thousand times, right? They've seen it time and right. time again. They're just really bad at, um, they're just really bad at, explaining what it is and helping you feel comfortable. And that's what we're doing because we see these situations that these clients come to us time and time again. We see it hundreds and thousands of times of the fear and that we get to the other side, but the clients never experience it themselves. And they only experience retirement or their portfolio one time. And so it's up to us to help them understand it, get comfortable with it and keep them from jumping, jumping off and going to all cash or, or whatever it may be. And so it's a, um, it's a, a job that's different than just doing investment management. It's psychology management as well. I think, uh, I think Kramer also needs to be a not on people's list of people that are trustworthy anymore. I don't know <laughs> if you ever saw that video of him, uh, doing that training video for the hedge funds, <laughs> no, I haven't talking seen about that manipulating markets and all the other shady stuff he's been part of. I think John Stewart did a big, a really great interview with him during the housing collapse it's funny to to see how people on um you know the media media heads have become you know so trustworthy but nobody asks questions about what's their incentive why are they doing right what doing? i think uh, i think i did look up I, I looked up the results i'd seen somebody had tallied them up of all of kramer's recommendations over the past couple of years and like the first couple of days after he recommends to buy something the stocks all 
like 80% of them or something ridiculous, like all just crater. <laughs> now over the long term, he's still, you know, right. But it seems to me like he's just driving up interest for, you know, institutional money to get out by having yeah. somebody to sell to. <laughs> yeah. You have to remember that there's advertisers that pay the bills for that network, mm-hmm. but um, that's a whole nother conversation, I think. Yeah. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I gotta be careful. I gotta be careful of what I say too. So, oh, that's right. Yes, because yeah. those special letters after your name mean that you can be held accountable, right? <laughs> do you want to throw out a disclaimer real quick? Yeah. Do you guys have about forty-five minutes for me to read this? <laughs> uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Let's start. Uh, so, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Okay. I want y'all to get guests on this podcast. I don't want y'all to lose guests. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We do have a disclaimer in the beginning, so uh, just so you know, one at okay. the beginning and one at the end. Great. My compliance officer will be very, very satisfied. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, shit, just drew a blank. I had a question. I forgot it. Was it about uh, one of his books? Because I, I want to I get to the Benjamin stuff, but I feel like we need to lead into that. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the book, and then I want to ask some questions about advisors. So let me get my thoughts together while you lead that one down. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about your book. Yeah. Dr. Cole Cash, we'll see you now is a, uh, it's an, it's a fun, lighthearted business fable. Um, we uh, created a character called Cole Cash. He is, uh, just a Southern boy, uh, from Charleston, South Carolina, just up the road from, from us here in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, my whole goal with this book, it's the first book of a four part series. So there's three more books coming out over the next 12 months. Uh, was to create a, a, a story and a fable similar to what Patrick Lencioni has done with the five dysfunctions of a team of trying to talk about wealth management, the value of wealth management, the value of financial advisors, the future of our industry in a way that was different and fun and lighthearted, but also got points across. And And that's why I felt really passionate about creating uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Cash, uh, and he's a psychologist or a therapist for financial advisors. And so the whole book goes through different uh, case files that he has of clients coming into his office and talking through their worries about their their future as an advisor, whether it's the robo advisors coming in and where are they going to be, um, or the next generation of clients and how do they serve them? These kids that love TikTok and Instagram and they don't know anything about it. And Dr. Cole Cash helps them walk through and see where their value is. And, and a lot of it just comes back to um, what I've said before. And I, I say it and I keep on saying it. And it's going to be like a broken record. But it's the, the human element in financial advice is so valuable from the psychological relationship standpoint. Um, people tend to be just irrational. Yet, um, you know, everything in finance and economics is built on rational thinking. But we as humans are irrational. We have these emotions, fear, greed, um, all of them that come into play, our upbringing and uh, our foundation that we were set that drive how we make decisions when it comes to outside influences that will then impact our financial decisions. And you think about why you know people aren't saving enough for retirement or why people don't have enough when they retire. It's because they tend to look back and they made a, a decision based off of emotion. They either felt, mm-hmm. you know, they felt silly going and asking for help because they uh, they didn't know enough about it. So they just kind of kept letting the issue fester and they just took no action. They just basically became 
paralysis by feeling that they weren't worthy to go ask that question or they felt that they would be sounding stupid uh, or the idea of fear. They're fearful of, you know, putting in their money and losing it all, even though, mm-hmm. you know, you know, data uh, tells you that that's not necessarily the case. If you get a diverse portfolio, uh, that's the fear and uh, it keeps and holds people back. Um, but I think as financial advisors, we have to focus on not telling them what to do and not just basing everything off of numbers and data, even though we know it's right. We have to find a way to relate to the client and help them see it in a different light for them to take action. And that's what I try to get across in this book. And, and that's why I did it in a way that's fun and lighthearted. It's only like 80 pages. Uh, I can't read much further than that. So I wanted to keep it short. Um, but I didn't want it to be just a, a heavy book. I wanted it to be fun with value. And uh, and that's what we get with Dr. Cole Cash. That's, um, that's really interesting that you bring up the emotional part of the, the, the markets. And that's something that we've been learning as we learn how to uh, day trade and trade futures and looking at the, the emotional cycle of the retail investor and then and the motions are what drives the markets. It, it all pretty much ties down to that. Uh, yeah, you're spot on when you say that humans are irrational beings and those emotions are what drives all the movement. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like I, I always, um, you know, Daniel Kahneman, who's a behavioral psychologist, uh, won a Nobel Prize, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, is a great deep read if you really want to go deep on kind of um, behavioral economics uh, and such. And then Dan Ariely is a is another great mind in that space that that I've read a lot about, and you know Ariely had a study um, which I just find fascinating um, with regards of just irrationality of of, of us as humans mm-hmm. of all of us, and he did this study of a uh, very simple one of a a group where he went and said, hey, uh, here's a twenty five dollar pen. You're going to go to a store and buy a twenty five dollar pen. It's a very nice, I guess, you know, Mont Blanc knockoff. And you go and buy that. And he says, while you're in the store, you know, there's a store down the road, 20, 20 minutes away, where you can buy that same pen for $18, $7 savings. Mm-hmm. And the majority of people that had that offer, they went and drove the 20 minutes to buy the pen to save $7. How much they spent on gas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but then, so here's the next question. Yeah. yeah, time and gas and all of that. But the next question is, is that he then went and said, okay, now he went to a suit store where people were buying a $455 suit and said, all right, 20 minutes away, the same suit store has the same exact suit, same size, everything. And it's going to cost you $448. And nobody really went and took the drive, even though the savings was the exact same dollar savings. Yes, you can talk about what well, percentages and all this type of stuff, but just from huh. a numerical standpoint, the dollar saving was the exact same. The, the drive and the time and the gas and all of that was the exact same. Yet we wow. want to save $7 on one thing, but we don't want to save $7 on another thing, which just shows we are irrational. Like that's not rational thinking when you can save the same amount of money at <laughs> all the same instances. Well, there, there's another interesting study that I read about uh, uh, people who like there's an actual like value to to the cost of something as far as like your enjoyment of it. Whereas you, you give uh, people like a glass of wine, you tell them one's a $10 wine, a bottle of wine, the other one's a $100 bottle of wine. And even if they're the exact same wine, this, you know, in the glass uh, and they taste them thinking that they're different, they're going to prefer the $100 one because that that's uh that's an there's some satisfaction study. yeah yes right? i know i know exactly what that's an amazing study because they did a they did and i talk about this one 
in the book uh, as well uh, a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Cole talks about it, but it's uh, it's the painkiller study, right? And um, and what he did is the same thing as, uh, and this was an Ariely study with some other gentlemen, and uh, did the same thing as the wine study, right? He he made up mm-hmm. a faint, fake painkiller. It was called like Veladone RX, and you know he had an attractive woman in a business suit with a faint Russian accent that told the subjects. Uh, in the study that 92% of the patients receiving this Velodone RX drug reported significant pain relief in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the relief lasted eight hours. So he, he said, you know, he put it all out and that was the control. But then he told one group that the drug cost $2.50 per dose. And of that group, nearly all the subjects said that they had pain relief, mm-hmm. that the drug worked. Then he told another group, with the same, you know, the same person, the same whatever, that the drug costs 10 cents per dose, and only half of those subjects reported pain relief. <laughs> that's wow. incredible. Right. That is wow, incredible. Wow. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, th- if you don't, if you don't understand, like, this is why I think financial advisors need to spend more time focusing on behavioral psychology and behavioral economics. Uh, and all, there's a lot of great minds out there doing and studying this, because if you understand this, you can serve and help people make better investment decisions and better planning decisions. And I think that overall, as a country, we'll be better off in retirement than we ever were uh, before it. Yeah, the book you mentioned was Thinking Fast and Slow. That was the other book that you... Yeah, Daniel Kahneman. Um, I think great. you're the second person to recommend that. So we'll have a link for that one. But no, I definitely need to get a copy of that. It's a, it's a, it's a deep read, right? So mm-hmm. I can only read half of it. That's where I got all my material <laughs> from was half of it. It's a, it's, a, it, it's a thinking book. But if you want some other ones... The Dan Ariely ones are a little bit easier and they're more fun to read. Dan Ariely's story is, is just incredible. Uh, predictably Irrational is one of them. Um, and then Payoff, The Hidden Logic That Shapes Our Motivations is another great one. Predictability. Sorry, Predictabil- that, um, predictably Irrational by uh, Dan Ariely is the first one. I just want to make sure I get his name. I can make sure I throw those in there too. I'll yeah. link to his author page. Wow. Oh, man. Didn't see this yeah. discussion going that way. <laughs> I love these kinds of discussions. Though. So you talk about uh, uh, trying to be, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, like almost an advisor for the financial advisors, mm-hmm. like helping them see their worth. Is there is there like a, a mass exodus from that field then? Because it seems like they still exist. No, I think that, you know, what, what I'm trying to help advisors see, I think that what's the challenge for the industry right now is there's a lot of outside influences that are pressing the industry on what their value or what their worth really is. And it's mm-hmm. unfortunate because they, you know, you have the robo-advisors coming in, uh, you have, you know, you have a lot of you know media and a lot of everything saying that financial advisors aren't necessarily needed anymore. They should lower their costs, how they're charging, the services that they're doing. Um, and and what I am helping advisors see and understand is that we as an industry have to shift. There's been natural progressions as an industry where you know back in the the early 1900s when you had Bear Stearns and the J.P. Morgan the the days of the broker where you call your broker and you're like, buy me shares of X or Y and they make commissions. And then you have, you know, the traditional, the discount brokerage world with Vanguard and Schwab's of the world. And then you have the internet brokerage advisors like E-Trade. And then you have the robo-advisors with Wealth uh, Front and Betterment. Um, they, the, the industry has evolved yet, um, or the industry has evolved around us as advisors, yet advisors still focus their true worth 
on being an investment advisor, doing the Uh investments. Yet the access to investments with the migration from individual stocks to mutual funds to now ETFs means that the 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 ability and the access to investing in the the data behind investing has shown that you know buy and hold does perform well for long-term you know planning needs and that your alpha that you can add as an advisor necessarily buying and selling every single day for your clients for planning needs um, may not be as um, as valuable and so there because someone can go and do that on their own because of the access to information so they, right. they want to go and be a trader they can go and get access to information themselves and so us as advisors aren't necessarily that coveted anymore like we were back in the early 30 or early 1900s uh when they didn't have that access or even right. in the 1990s when you know my dad started this shop he used to have to call charles schwab to see what the portfolios were doing or what the right. Dow did right like that doesn't have to be done anymore so that now is not a value add of an advisor right Access to opening an account at a brokerage account used to be a value add, like you had to go to a financial advisor to do that, but that doesn't need to be done anymore because you have access to Vanguard, Schwab directly, Betterment, Wealthfront. Um, And then you go to, well, now advisor, I need to have, I can open an account, I can buy investments, but I need someone to do asset allocation. That's where Betterment and Wealthfront came in and kind of commoditized that. So now, you know, advisors are at an interesting, you know, point where they're like, okay, well, what is my value? And and it has to reshape that your value is beyond what you've been doing. Right. Your value is your relationship and the handholding and the organization and helping people stay true to a financial plan. That is your value. And I'm trying to help advisors see how to make that transition to where you're still going to do investment management. That's still part of your 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 toolbox and your tool set, but you need to focus and spend more time on building, deepening, and creating unique relationships because people sign up with you for who you are. And that's what makes you unique, not your investment strategy. It's you as a person that they're attracted to uh, and the relationships that you're able to build and the service offerings you're able to provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to strategies, I mean, there's many of them out there and a lot of them can be profitable. It just all depends on how uh, disciplined you are and how well you stick to your plan. And I, and I think that that's the problem. It's the sticking to the plan that's the key, yeah. I think that that's the problem, right? You all talk about day trading and all that type and, 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 and making um, an investment strategy in that way. And I think that that is the challenge that at least I've seen, right? And I'm just one person. But you know, the clients that come into to our office um, and that we meet with, you know, they're smart people. They could do it on them, their own. They just don't want the responsibility or the focus or the need of it. And they just want someone else as a sounding board and to take responsibility over it. Um, mm. And they know that they will get in their own way as well, right? Mm. They've seen it and they come in usually either because of a life event or because they made a silly mistake that lost them some money. And they're like, I have no one but to blame but myself and I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've always done my own money uh, managing for that reason. I don't want somebody else to blame. <laughs> I could stomach it a lot better if I made a series of bad choices. And that's the beauty of where we are as an industry, right? Like there's, right. there's a subset of people that are like you that want to do it on their own. And now more than ever, you have the tools and the resources to be able to go and excel at that in your own way. And then others have now the ability to go and get, they can go and have an advisor at a reasonable cost as well. It's not, you know, lucrative commissions that aren't aligned with their interest anymore. And they mm-hmm. can go do that. And so there's, there's opportunity for so much. And now what we have to do as an industry is help both subsets of people be able to become more financially literate, more financially knowledgeable, and financially understanding of what drives their decisions. And if we can do that, then we're going to become a more solid 
financially foundational uh, country in the future. Yeah, I think definitely your path needs to be on the education side of things because there still is a, such an issue with people understanding, you know, not just the stock markets, but, you know, retirement planning, just budgeting even. <laughs> I mean, people, like, why isn't this being taught in high school? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, I remember uh, in high school when, I mean, I, I, I guess I was a little bit of a geek, but like when we, we, we balanced our, we got like checkbooks and we were able to learn how to balance a checkbook. I thought it was so cool to be able to like, you know, put your debits and credits into the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the book and, and to like monitor everything and then the, to figure out how to write the check. And I always tried to make sure I could get the line as long as possible before the, uh, you know, when you write out how, you know, hundred dollars and five, a uh, hundred and five dollars or whatnot. Yeah. The and line, that's not, clear, the line that goes right the there. Rest, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that yep. was the cool, that was my, tra- that was what I was trying to do, but it's not done anymore. And I, I think it's, um, it, it's, um, more difficult than it's ever been because people just find what they want to believe and they go down that avenue and they're not open-minded to understand what a foundational you know sense of budgeting is and um you know it's just there's no emphasis on it right Mm -hmm. and i think that there needs to be but there's a lot of leaders in the space that are trying to change that um and hopefully we can um but you know now with venmo and uh, you know, Bitcoin and everybody's trying to make a quick dollar. I think like, even right. if you're doing, there's a way of doing day trading for planning purposes, right? For, for future financial success, but everybody wants a quick dollar. They don't want to invest the time into building wealth and they want to go and find in the next Bitcoin and invest in it, uh, and get that quick dollar. And that's just not the way that you build wealth. If you're doing day right. trading, you got to commit to it. And, and do it for a long period of time uh, to build the wealth. It does, you're not going to just go and hit this one home run and be a multi-multi-millionaire necessarily. No, it's, it's more of a death by thousand cuts if you're doing it right. Yeah. You get to 5% on as many trades as you can. <laughs> exactly. And limiting your losses. Risk management. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, I think that that's just this, the space that, I think that that's the issue that we have with the generations is that everything's on instant gratification. Right. Um, and there's an entitlement factor that's going on as well. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, people that build wealth and budget and save over 20, 30 years, that's boring, boring. Like, what's it's the, what's boring. the saying, Dan? Nobody wants to get rich slow? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's the challenge that we face right now. So we have to figure out how to make budgeting and financial planning and literacy fun. And um, maybe one day we'll be able to do that. I think another interesting point you made too, and it kind of touches back on what you're saying with like the driving the 20 minutes to save $7 on a pen, but not on the, like how many people put effort into things that maybe aren't the best place to put that effort into? Well, I mean, like you you try to save, like, I don't know how many people drive an extra five miles to save 10 cents on their gas when they probably burn the savings driving to that gas station rather than just filling up at the closest one. It's not, I mean, it's not rational, right? And, but, but people, (laughs) but people do it because they feel like they've, they feel like they've won, right? They feel the sense Mm -hmm. of gratification that, that they were right and that they were one, that they won. And, and, you know, I think that, and this is just another kind of passion that I think that, I think, you know, I think virtual reality is going to help with in time and I, I, over, over, you know, in the future, but the problem is that reason that people don't like to, to save is that, think about it, a 30-year-old, right? If, they, mm-hmm. if you tell them to save $100 a month, right? And 
like, well, this is going to be good for you. And by the time you retire at 65, right. they're like, who, what, what planet are you from? Like that I'm going to start saving money today for something that is literally more than a lifetime away. I've only lived on this planet for 30 years. And you're telling me to start <laughs> thinking about something that is 35 years away. And you want me to take action on it today? You're like, no. And you know, sacrifice now. Right. And everybody wants uh, uh, to, sa- they, they all want what they want to spend the money today. And they're going to make a decision to do something in the, in the immediate future, as opposed to the, the future future. But, and I think that that's the challenge is that to get people to see that and to understand that, um, and we have to go about how do we help them save for something in the present to create the habits mm-hmm. for them to have those habits into the future? How do we help them save for a trip, you know, to, you know, to, to the Amalfi Coast? You know, it's an $8,000 trip. How do we help them save 10000 over the next 10 months so that they can go and do that trip? But they're now creating the habits because they have to save for 10 months. After you do that for 10 months, it's right. now becoming a habit. And you're going to now, once you go on the trip, you're still going to have that habit. You've spent less and now you're creating longer term habits. And so how can we do that? Because if you tell them just to go save it into a retirement account, $100 a month, at the end of the year, you have $1,200 saved. Even if you get, even if you have an amazing year, let's say, and you get 20%, right. 20% interest on that, you grow at 20%, right? What are you, you're getting $240 and you're like, what? Like $240 is what I earned. And now I have to do this again. And I'm only going to get $244 next year. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I don't want to stay committed to this. Uh, They're like, what's this whole thing about compounding? It's like, well, compounding, you know, it's still 20%. That's great. They're like, it's $240, sir. Like, what am I doing today? What am I doing? Yeah. Like, (laughs) and so we have to get over that and change the conversation. We just have to have some, you know, innovation in the space, which I think we're starting to get. I've always tried to uh, keep it as painless as possible. Like I've told uh, people that one of the best things they can do is anytime they get a pay raise, you're not used to seeing that money yet. Just put that in your 401k. You're not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Do that until you hit your target retirement savings rate. And then anything after that, now you're good. And so here we go again, right? Like the, I agree with that. But let's just go back to the, what we talked about at the beginning. That's rational. Right. It's rational thinking, right? We're irrational beings, all of mm-hmm. us, every single one of us. And so, again, you're now committing money that you know you've gotten, that you know you've earned, and you're committing it to something into the way distant future when you're like, wow, I would love to have another $200 to go spend, you know, going out to dinner with my significant other or whatever it may be. Um, and it's just, it's a hard, it's an easy thing to rationalize because it's rational thinking, but it's a hard thing to execute on because of our, uh, who we are as beings. Well, I like what you said about, uh, you know, trying to have a, a goal, an annual goal or something like a trip to create those habits. That seems like the much better route to go. Cause then there's something that's more immediate as far as the gratification goes, but still creates that habit. Exactly. And that's, and that habit then continues on forever. Right. And then you mm-hmm. do the next trip and then they, their, their cash starts building up and, um, uh, and you go that way. And I, I think that the, you know, there's a multitude of challenges that I, I wish we would all be able to solve on this podcast just by itself. But you, know, you think about, you know, student loan debt, you think about credit card debt, mm-hmm. um, and you, you figure out how do, I, how do I balance paying down these loans, saving for retirement, living for today. And you think about, you know, 24, 25 year old that wants to save for a new house, uh, wants to go and travel and enjoy life, um, wants to potentially get married. Um, start a family, 
you know, there's a lot of significant purchases that go into that um, that make it hard to save. And and I tell people, you know, don't stress about it, right? But you know, let's just start trying to create the habits necessary, and and then we can figure out how to to make it all work over time. That's really funny too. Is that I've I've actually used the process of saving for larger purchases, but I've always found that when I've actually got the money. Like most of the time, I don't actually want the purchase anymore. I'd rather have the cash that I've saved up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are so rational, aren't we? We are rational. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that, oh, that's yeah. the whole thing. And then ultimately, when you get there, the satisfaction really isn't because you've already built it into your head because we always build what it's going to be like when we get there because we don't, we don't have the patience just to live mm-hmm. in the moment and wait to see what the satisfaction is. So we build up our satisfaction of what that moment will be when we save it and we get to go spend it. And you know what? When we get to that point, it's just not that exciting. It's just yep. not that exciting. And um, you know, and to your point, you've created that mentality. You know, it's an interesting study uh, as well on, on retirees um, where you know, all retirees come in. Like when you're about to retire, you come into the office and you're like, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to live in retirement, right? I need $12,000 a month. And you're like, well, you're only earning like eight right now. They're like, I know, but I want to go travel the world and I need $12,000 a month. And, and so I always have to talk them through that and say, well, look, you're going to have some money from Social Security. Maybe you have a pension. You can generate you know, another two or $3,000 a month from your portfolio. And, and look, you aggregate them all up. Your expenses are maybe six thousand on a monthly basis, uh, and you now are able to generate, you know, with all these income streams, seven thousand dollars a month net. Like you're, you're going to be fine. And what always happens, and the study showed this as well, is retirees always think they're going to need more money, but they just they mentally bring their spending habits towards what they have, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's all just like unknown to them that they're doing it because they just live within their means naturally. Huh. Uh, because that's what they're doing. And, and again, it just is another mental aspect of how we think, right, uh, uh, of building up our, our mental future. I think one of the last guys that we had who's a retirement specialist, uh, one of the questions, because we just uh, recently, Dan and I both left our jobs to, to pursue this life full time. And after spending, you know, the last 20 years of being like a, a saver, like having to flip that switch and now to try to take profit from my income or my, you know, my hard work to, to pay for my life. That's not an easy switch to flip. It's not easy to suddenly become a withdrawer rather than a net, you know, saver. Yeah, it's uh, well, and I mean, after and you think about it for a retiree, right? A sixty-two-year-old yeah. or sixty-five-year-old that their whole life was built on, um, you know, you had this switch on. And I talk about the switch all the time with our clients. Is that you know, for thirty-five years, you're told, "Hey, save, save, save," and I'm you're coming in. I'm telling you on this day. This is a day. Flip that no 35 more. year switch. We're going to look at it <laughs> yep. differently. We're going to use income and we're going to be able to spend it. And they're like, uh, and so I, you know, it's a preparation over years, but it is a tough switch. I, yeah, I'd be interested, you know, I want to turn this around. Like, how has it been for y'all as y'all left and now gotten into this day trading game? How, you know, has it been successful? Have y'all, y'all found it to what have, what have been some of the lessons you've learned so far? Uh, oh, so many. I mean, you still got to pay yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the main lesson is everything's all about capital protection for one. So risk management's the main key. But as far as yeah. like paying yourself, like that's still painful every time. Like I haven't found an easy way to to write that check to myself. I haven't even done it yet. Yeah, I haven't even paid myself yet. <laughs> I've gotten so more. I'm so much more frugal. I'm like changing my own oil in my car. Anything I can do myself, I'm doing it. To, like I, I'll make those irrational. I'm like I'll save twenty cents. 
by driving five miles. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm going crazy. <laughs> but it just shows how we all adapt to our situation. Like, this is what we have. We know what we have. And that, that goes to that retiree study, right? I mean, everybody yep. just adapts to um, what, what, their, what their situation is. And as much as you want to go do anything, you'll just figure it out, right? Right. Yeah, uh, you'll figure out how to make it work uh, with what your means are right now kind of yeah. seeing that too myself so that is kind of interesting yeah the the expenses has definitely come down yeah i have, i have some friends uh, who are retired want... shout, shout out to ellen long-time listener uh they just got hamilton tickets uh, and i was so proud that they got the vip the expensive ones like you don't you don't need to save anything you're fine <laughs> get, get the nice seats it's it's okay you'll be fine <laughs> right <laughs> uh i want to pivot a little bit more to talking about uh just the financial advisors in general um, I was recently having a conversation with my wife um, about them because I think her mom has been using the same one and there's been some question about whether or not he's, um, uh, well, I guess I'd be careful what I say on here. I'm Effective. not sure if the mom listens or not, so maybe I won't say it. Effective? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah. So, the best choice. Like, What are some red flags when you're talking to a guy? Because like, your, your whole goal is to walk out of, a, of the room with the financial planner or uh, advisor feeling that they're trustworthy, right? Cause you wouldn't give them their money to manage it if they weren't. So like, what are some red flags when you're talking to somebody that maybe it's somebody that you should steer away from? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, again, not to sound like a broken record, it, it goes based off of how you feel about the person. Right. I mean, it's like, would you, you know, when you build a friendship, you know, what, it, what it goes into identifying if that person is a trustworthy friend, right? Are they, are mm -hmm. they, do they have similar views as you, right? Do they mm -hmm. do, how do they, um, you know, do they, are they open and honest? Are they vulnerable, right? Do they, do they share with you or they just want to tell you what to do and just hear from you, but you don't really know anything about them, right? It's got to be a mutual connection, right? I share about my family with all of my clients. I share pictures of my kids. I share my ups and my downs and like they know about me because I'm an open book. Like I mm. wear my emotions on my sleeve, whether that's right or wrong. Like I, I, I feel that they're, they're coming into my, I, I, I did a video on it and it's like, when you go meet with a financial advisor for the first time, it's like you're walking into a room of a lot of people bare na butt naked, right? Like just <laughs> butt naked because you, know, you walk in and you're exposing everything about yourself because in order for the advisor to do their job, they have to know everything about you. And right. usually the advisor knows whether you're gonna, your relationship's going to make it or not or you're, you know, they know about you because you have to let them know everything. And so if, they, if, it's, not, if it's not mutual, Mm -hmm. Right. Where they're also telling you about their struggles and their, you know, about themselves and what learned what they learned. Um, you know, then it's I just don't feel it's going to be a it's it's going to be a good relationship because you're always going to feel that you call them and it's like, oh, I got to call my money guy or gal. Gosh, like <laughs> you don't want that. And so I think that that's some of the, uh, you know, the kind of the, just like the, the soft aspects of it. But then, you know, the, the, the other aspects is, is you got to know how they're getting paid, right? Are they making money based off of trades? You know, what yeah. is their, um, what's their investment philosophy? You know, if they're making money on an AUM, that's fine. But like, what other services do you get? Um, you know, what access do you have to them? Um, and, and you also have to understand what it is. And I think that this is part of the relationship is, what are your expectations of the advisor? And mm -hmm. what is the, is, is the advisor's expectations of you? Right. Mm -hmm. There's got to be this mutual setting of expectations because it's the happiness equation, right? Expectations minus reality equals 
frustration or happiness, right? If you have high expectations <laughs> and reality misses, you're going to be frustrated. If, but you got to level set that at the beginning. And so, you know, understand how they're being paid. Are they a fiduciary, right? Are they, are they having your interest in mind? Um, mm-hmm. Are they trying to sell you products? Or are they trying to truly help you invest your wealth? Um, and when you go into an advisor relationship, like I said a second ago, what are your expectations for that relationship? They're not going to have a silver bullet. And if they tell you they can make you X number, X percent in return, turn around, say, thank you so much. I'll talk to you later and just walk out because none of us can predict returns. All we right. can do is help manage emotions and help manage you towards where you need to go. And, and uh, I think that those are some of the things to think about in a relationship. Okay. Great answers. So I like that. Shady Dan's financial plans out the window. <laughs> that that one may not make it long, but I think it's worth a shot. I mean, you can try it. There may be a market out there for for Shady, for Shady Dan. <laughs> I've never made a mistake yet. A million percent return. <laughs> the reason why I asked that too is, is uh, one of the guys that we talked to is uh, like I think they had a lot of trouble finding a good financial advisor and they never really understood why like everyone would just always like you ask somebody like, who do you use? Do you like them? Yeah, great. Here's my money. <laughs> like that's the the kind of background check that people seem to put into it uh, for the oh, most yeah. part, or at least his experience was. Well, I, I mean, I think that that goes back to trust, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a, this, this, um, you know, this, this industry is built on trust. A lot of people choose their financial advisor from the people that they trust, which is their family and friends. And, you know, after that, like, how, how, let's be honest, right? Like, how do you judge a doctor? Like, how do I judge a doctor if he's good or bad or she's good or bad? Like, I have no idea that you're a good doctor or a bad doctor. I'm not, I'm not in the medical practice. Like, how do I understand or judge a, um, you know, the, the tree company of which tree company is good or bad? Like, I don't know how you do that or any of that. Like, that's not what my skill set is. And so I have to do it based off of trust of the people that I know that I've used them before. And, um, and I think that that's why, you know, so many people just say, Oh, you, you're using them. Okay. I'll go use them. Um, because they treated you right. So they must know what they're doing and they'll treat me right. Like it's hard to analyze an advisor. Show me all your returns. Let me know what you did (laughs) in this market environment. Right. Like how do you view inflation? Like, the people coming in don't even know what they view inflation. They may not even know what inflation really is or what the CPI index is. So how are they going to judge on those characteristics? It's all based off of judging on trust and character. But that also, although the point I was trying to make or was working towards was it sounds like you need more than just one meeting too. Because you have in order to build that trust, you're not going to you know solve all that in 30 minutes. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that that's um, 100%. Right. And I, I think that, you know, you should ask them to put together a plan, explain their philosophy for you specifically. Right. Did mm-hmm. they did you feel comfortable with how they went through the process? Um, did you feel comfortable with how they were? Did you understand that what they said? Right. That here's a here's a litmus test to use. When you go home, when you leave the financial advisor's office, can you repeat and explain what they said to your significant other if they weren't in the meeting or to your friend? If you cannot and you don't understand what the hell they were doing. Maybe it's not the right person because they couldn't necessarily explain it in a way to help you understand right. the process, right? Where they, it, you know, that's why I always like to use stories and relate back to what they like to do because that's how people remember things. And if they can't go home and relate it or understand it, then I think we have a challenge at that point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, my wife wanted me to ask uh, uh, some of these questions too. Um, so bear with me here for this. Uh, do you get asked a lot about crypto? All the time. 
Okay. So what is your, like, do you have any uh, plans that, that involve using that? Or is that something you try to steer people away from? Are there any other unorthodox uh, uh, investing methods that you do like that typically aren't uh, utilized by, by people in the industry? The under the mattress methodology? Putting cat yeah. into the mattress. Sure. Uh, is a, is um, no, I steer away from that. Or the dig holes in the backyard and throw them in and fill them up. Um, yeah. Those are some methodologies I stay away from. Now, I, I think that so crypto is an interesting uh, thing that's coming around, an interesting um, you know trend that's happening. Here, here's what it is, right? Crypto is going to have a have a space uh, on or have space on the shelf of investment management eventually. I think mm-hmm. it's a little early. I think it's still very. I, I still don't understand it necessarily, and like it's very speculative, right? Nobody Someone understands can, it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Okay. So, you know, Elon <laughs> Musk will come out and say he's buying. You know, he's selling all his Bitcoin and it'll fall fifty percent. It's not a store of value. It's a, it's an investment. It's a it's a speculative investment. Um, I think that the um, the blockchain is going to change and revolutionize. It already is revolutionizing financial services. I think there's a lot of value in that. Uh, I think that crypto has to become more mature for it to find its way into portfolios of you know you know older individuals. And I, I say mm-hmm. older just as those that are planning for retirement. Um, yeah, I, yeah that, that definitely wouldn't be something that you'd probably, when you're already near your goals. But I think eventually it will. I think it's an asset class that, that you can use uh, to build portfolios, but we have to get better understanding for it. And until, as much as I don't like things necessarily being regulated, I think there has to be some regulation around it because it's it's the wild, wild west right now in crypto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and until there's some foundational regulation on it, then it's hard to utilize right now. What would that regulation look like? Uh, that was a discussion that Dad and I were having uh, a couple episodes ago. Like, What exactly yeah. would that look like? I mean, I think we should just turn it over to the people in Washington because they're so good at creating regulation <laughs> oh, and, yeah. uh, and legislation <laughs> that maybe we'll just like, <laughs> exactly. we'll let them, I think they can figure it out because they know what Facebook is. I love when they get Mark Zuckerberg on Capitol Hill. I love when they get Mark Zuckerberg. What is the internet, Mark? Like what? You're saying that you're on the internet? Like, where do you go to get the internet? Um, uh, I just don't understand it. Um, so this Facebook thing, is it really going to make it? Um, the, so I don't know what the regulation, I think that, you know, it's securities regulation, right? Like uh, there is regulation around stocks and bonds. Mm-hmm. That is that you have to have documentation and you have to, you have to present you know that you have the crypto to be able to you know that you are you ha- you ha- that you own the stock uh-huh. and and that you report okay. on it right like we don't have any of that with crypto that you know i don't know if i'm going to go buy it and then the the person i'm buying it from or what or that like one day just they're just going to say bitcoin's gone bye bye like i there's no right. regulatory agency that's saying that hey we're going to back crypto you know you know we're you, there it's you know, supported or insured up to this point, right? Like there's some regulation in that aspect that has to be done and reporting uh, on it as well. Um, you know, Coindesk or, or whatever that, that the, the public company, like there is some uh, regulation with that because they're a public company. So they say like, I have this much Bitcoin and all that stuff. But um, I think we need to get to some sort of regulatory environment on that side. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen whether people want it or not. No question. As soon as they started talking about the uh, U.S. dollar coin, make going to digital dollar. Yeah, <laughs> so, but you got to wait until you get some, you can't have swings of, 
120% or 50% in a day and have that be our currency, right? Um, that yeah. just isn't you, <laughs> right. You know, the store of value that until you get that, that under control. Uh, I just don't like, you know, one day you go buy a house with your Bitcoin, you know, and your one Bitcoin can buy a $500,000 house, but then tomorrow it's going to take 25 Bitcoin to buy that same house. Like that just doesn't, that, that doesn't cause confidence or create confidence in the market. Um, and so the store of value aspect of it and using it as a currency, I, I just, that is a, um, well, I think we're going to see some of that kind of go, or at least get more stable as, as we start to see more institutional level and ownership of, of cryptos, which we're starting and to I see think now. Institutional, yeah. But, and it also comes with regulation, some regulation behind right. it, some reporting behind it, some transparency behind it, uh, which will come. I, I, it just if you keep talking about it like you are like like Elon Musk talking about self-driving cars, you keep talking about it long enough, it's just going to eventually happen, and that's what he did starting you know 05. And now look, everybody's not everybody, but everybody has a Tesla is dry, is is doing self-driving. Yeah, <laughs> when their cars aren't on fire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's not on fire, it's self-driving. Yes, like, that's that's cool. When it's not on fire, it's on fire. <laughs> it's funny how the, those news stories get twisted. I think gas cars catch on fire at a lot more oh, alarming yeah. rate than those Tesla ones do. But the Tesla, the Tesla <laughs> caught on fire. Two, te- two Teslas in the, across the whole country have caught on fire, and it's like I know. Tesla's got a problem with catching China's on fire. banning them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to get them out of here, right? China's banning Teslas. I think they got you know they made look at some other stuff. Right? Now. Has nothing to do with Neo. No, nothing. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so this has been a lot more fun than than we thought it was going to be. You don't think you're going to have a fun conversation? Conversation with a financial advisor yeah, normally, right. do you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Financial advisor walks into the room, everybody walks out. That's what, that's what happens. Yeah, I usually just take a nap. It's been nice having you on the show too, because uh, I get a chance to to put some personality. Let somebody defend the the purpose of the financial advisor. That's what it's all about. Because uh, it does it does definitely sound like there is still a need for it. Um, you know, now it's not going to be for everybody, but uh, not everybody you know is wired like me and Dan, where we want to you know, spend every waking moment researching stocks and following the market. And that's the beauty of the world we're in, right? Right. That's the beauty of the world we're in. So Dan, do you have anything else uh, before we wrap this up? Yes. I would like to ask about Benjamin. Who is Benjamin and how can I get to know Benjamin? So, uh, well, I mean, anytime you want, you can get to know Benjamin, right? Just uh, go over to getbenjamin.com. You can learn all about him. But no, Benjamin is a Benjamin's our technology solution that we uh, we started uh, within our own two firms, and he's he's a digital assistant. He we call we call him uh, a business support system. So think about the connective tissue between all of your technologies and processes at a financial advisory firm or your operating system, right? You have your iOS or Android operating mm-hmm. system and you have all these apps on top of it. And mm-hmm. uh, they all need to talk to each other and the way that they talk to each other is through the operating system. And that's what Benjamin does for a financial advisor. And the whole goal is that in our industry, we use all this technology and we have all these processes that we have to follow for compliance purposes and just for servicing purposes. And, um, and it becomes really mundane and menial and we have all these tasks. And it's because none of the technologies talk to each other which means that none of the processes talk to each other, which means that none of the divisions and the departments talk to each other, which means that we're spending a lot of time just managing those processes and technologies to be able to serve our clients at the highest level possible. And what Benjamin does is he comes in and connects all of those technologies together along with the processes and starts eliminating all the menial mundane tasks from scheduling to 
onboarding to servicing. Uh, and he communicates with clients and also with employees internally via text messaging um, and wow. email. And it's, uh, it's the foundational layer of AI. And we're continuing as we learn more about processes uh, uh, to be able to provide more AI to where we can recommend different uh, processes you should do for certain clients based on their history and based on your history with them and your interactions with them. And it's all really behind the scenes. It's, a, it's not a new technology that you have to log into because it connects into your current technologies you already use. Hmm. And it's a really just, it's a fun project that we're doing. Uh, it's innovative, it's valuable. And the name, we, you know, given that this is a personal relationship business, we wanted to give it a real human name. And that's why we gave it Benjamin. And it came from, you know, it's all about the Benjamins. And so that's yeah. where we got uh, Hamilton from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not Hamilton. <laughs> it, it adds a better ring to it, right? Yeah, yeah. better ring to it. Oh, man, Kyle, we need to get Benjamin working for us. Right. When you get a financial advisor, then you'll be able to be introduced to Benjamin. Our, our vision for him is to have him integrate all of your financial planning, right? Uh, your insurance planning, estate planning, uh, tax planning, financial planning, all together to have this unified experience between all of these different, you know, your all-star financial team. So um, that's, how, that's how we're visioning it. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a fun, it's a fun endeavor. We have a really smart bunch of team members that are they're building the product that are much smarter than I ever will be. Um, and so it's exciting. Man, so you've got that, you've got a book coming out, you've got your, your, your website, uh, that's, that's two, two businesses, the inner circle of, uh, yeah, I mean, good. My wife loves it me. Sounds, Let's just say yeah. that. Let's just say that. <laughs> Get my wife or yeah my wife and kids they uh it's benjamin they, handle that they too. call me they call me this who's this random guy staying at our house is what they, they say yeah they, that's what they say to me uh, why oh, is this man. guy here who is this guy yeah so can benjamin read bedtime stories yet yeah <laughs> not yet but we're getting there. getting there i think it's more about um uh the uh the aspect of benjamin um hold on is that I want him to take away the stuff that you shouldn't, you don't, that you need to do, but that a human doesn't need to do, right? Because it should never, it's never going to eliminate the human to human interaction. Benjamin's not going to be able to keep someone from being funny with their money. That's mm -hmm. up to a human, the EQ, the understanding, to be able to explain and dig deep into it. But Benjamin should be able to give advisors more time to be able to do that with more people. And if we can, if we can allow advisors now to, instead of having to, because of all their menial mundane tasks that they have, uh, going on day to day, you know, if we can start eliminating some of those in their capacity goes from mainly being able to serve 100 families because of all those menial tasks and now being able to serve 150 or 200 families, oh, well, yeah, now yeah. we're creating greater access to human financial advice. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so exciting uh, about what we're, what we're doing right now. Fantastic. Uh, that sounds, uh, it sounds exciting. I love AI stuff anyway. Yeah. All right, Kyle, do we got any uh, fun and games or quizzes for, for Matt? Uh, no, I hadn't been doing those because these have been a lot more serious lately, it seems like. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why you're I not like getting games. a promotion. Well, like, hang on. <laughs> let me think here. Demotion. What have we done in a while that, that would be fun? Let's see. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going blank. See, now I called you out, then you called me out back, and now I'm, I'm also like, oh, shit. I know, right? The double call, <laughs> double call out. Oh, gosh, I hate that. Oh, we yeah. did the crypto password one, but uh, that's not fair for somebody who doesn't know crypto. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's usually a lot of good South Park references, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, I got nothing to say. What's your favorite Dan. fictional representation of a, of a financial advisor? Fictional representation of a financial advisor. 
gosh, maybe I don't like games, right? <laughs> um, Mine's Jafar from Aladdin because he was awesome. Is <laughs> he a financial advisor or just a palace advisor? Jafar from Aladdin. Um, I don't know who I would go with. I had no idea. Let me think. Well, it was a trick a question second. because um, they don't exist because they're so boring. No one puts them in stories. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's man. sad. That is oh, sad. That's oh. not fun in games. That's just mean oh, bullying. That's oh, sad. okay. <laughs> I'm off the call. Sorry, I'm out. But we just have to think. We just have to think of. I just now have to think of a boring. I have to think of the most boring character uh, in in a, in, a, in a series and use them or in a book. <laughs> Um, oh no! Let's see what, what's your favorite comic strip then? Is it is it Dilbert or Non Sequitur? Dilbert. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come on. <laughs> My dad actually My, has a few of those in his office of uh, from cut out from papers. You know, when you used to get the paper oh, delivered. Yeah, we've had a few printed out at the steel mill I worked at uh, yeah. last. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one was the one because we were always cash strapped. It seemed like so. Delbert gives his boss the budget and says, uh, this is the bare minimum I need to be successful with this project. He says, what can you do with half of it? <laughs> Fail. <laughs> Great. When can you start? No, we already have. <laughs> Started just now. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on here, Matt. This has been really, really fun. Um, ah, I don't want it to end, but it kind of has to, end. doesn't it? Well, unless you got any more uh, thrilling questions. My wife is texting me, seeing where I've been. I haven't been home in four days, so um, (laughs) I have to go figure that out. She finally found out that Benjamin's not you. Yeah, she's like, why is this automated text messaging coming to me at 5 p.m. every night? Um, Matt will be home at 7 (laughs) o'clock. Press 1 if you want him to arrive. Press 2 Press two if you do not want him to come. Operator! Keep pressing down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, guys, I really appreciate it. This was a ton of fun. And, um, you know, if you ever uh, need another financial advisor to come back on to, to give any sort of advice, let me know. I'm happy to be doing it. All right. Uh, we'd love that. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell the guests where they can find you, where they can find your book? Yeah, books on Amazon. Dr. Cole Cash, we'll see you now. Um, would love for you all to go to go buy it. Leave a review if you like it. If you don't like it, please do not leave a review. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can find me at uh, mattreiner.com. Uh, that's where we post a lot of my, my blogs and videos. Uh, YouTube, uh, Matt Reiner. LinkedIn, I spend a ton of time. Uh, again, Matt Reiner. Uh, and then on Twitter, at Matt Reiner. So love to engage with anybody and everybody. Uh, in that medium. And, um, you know, financial advice doesn't have to be stuffy. We can have fun doing it. And uh, that's what I'm trying to bring to the, to the end. Damn right. Damn straight. That's the whole point of the show. All right, Dan, take us home. Oh, folks, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, sticking around to the end. Uh, we hope you had a good time and uh, learned a few things. Uh, if you got any more questions, we've got all those links for you in the episode description. Uh, go check out that book. Check out Matt's website. And uh, we'll be back at you pretty soon here. And until then, happy trades. Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. 
It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.